So I wonder if you have ever wished that you lived inside an operetta. I ask because my kids sort of do live inside an operetta. Unfortunately, the voice primarily singing to them is mine and not, for instance, Rochelle's, which I think they might like a lot better. I sing in the morning to wake my children up, and of course I sing them lullabies at night when they go to sleep. And you know how you sing to children to, um, to try to convince them that something's fun? You know, let's all tie your shoes, tie your shoes, tie your shoes, let's all tie your shoes. Or when you get frustrated with them and you sing through gritted teeth, let's go up the stairs, up the stairs, up the stairs. So anyway, I sing to my children kind of all throughout the day to try to convince them about what they should be doing next and where they should be going next, and and hopefully also to give them a sense of music and joy in their lives. And then, of course, they're sung to here at Wes as well. Our children are with us now at the beginning of every platform service, and as you could tell, we like to have them so much, sometimes we don't want to let go of them. They join us for our opening song, and as you might know, that first song is the same for a whole month, so that they have a time, uh, a chance to get to know the song and to learn it, and sometimes we adults need the whole month as well to learn that song, so by the final Sunday, we're really singing with gusto. And then we sing them out as well when they go down to their classes. And that's a new song about once a quarter, as we've been trying it. And there's always a little bit of a challenge and a shift when that song is changed and we miss the one we've gotten used to. And sometimes we accidentally sing the old one, if you were here a few weeks ago. And that works too. We just sing another song about how we love the children and we hope that they have peace and joy out in the world. I love all of those singing ways that we show the children that we care about them here. But what exactly are we singing them off to when we sing them out to their classes? What happens, you know, in like the deep, secret recesses of the downstairs? If you do not have a child down there, or even if your child is a little younger and hasn't gone through the whole Sunday school yet, And if you haven't taught in the Sunday school, you might not know exactly what happens. And so I wanted to give you a little taste of the Sunday school experience at Wes. The best way, of course, to find out is to go down there and to teach. And you certainly will have lots of opportunities to do that. And and we love having parents, uh, non-parents, teach in our Sunday school. It's such a, a source of joy and richness for our children. But to whet your appetite, here are the basics of what happens in a West Sunday school education through the ages in 30 minutes or less of a whole lifetime. So you start with kind of, you know, why do we have Sunday school at all? Why would we bother having something for our kids and not putting them in front of, say, Dora the Explorer or the Stuart Little movie on repeat or something throughout? And, and I think the first answer that springs to mind is that we want them to learn about ethical culture. We want them to learn about this community and what it is that we do and what it is that we believe and value. And, of course, the way that you do that is different for different ages. And our Sunday school program works to sync what the children learn with their developmental needs at the time. In our nursery, which is for our very youngest children, and I think, I think the littlest, we've had six-week-olds six week in the nursery. I often think that at some point this is really about what the parent needs, which is a break for one hour to sit in a chair and nobody is pulling on your shirt at that moment. 
But in truth, the very beginning, that nursery time, is just the start of showing a child that Wes is a place that cares for them, a place where people are friendly and where they are safe and known and respected. We have a mix of professional caregivers, adult volunteers, and teen helpers in our nursery. And one of the things that I love most is to see the way the teen helpers form bonds with these little babies that they start out helping in the nursery. As the babies grow up and continue on in the Sunday school as young children, you can see the teens who are now older teens and sometimes even back coming back from college or wherever they've gone after graduating from high school. And you can see those bonds continue on between the the folks that cared for them from their very start here at West. But, you know, that that time, it's not just about sort of making West a place that a baby and then a toddler is willing to be. There's something more there. It's really the beginning of their ethical development. The author, Tracy Hurd, is the uh, author of Nurturing Children and Youth, a really great little resource on uh, child development and how that impacts a religious community. She writes, Trust, established in relationship with caregivers, nurtures the toddler's ready spark of moral development. The infant and toddler gain moral understanding by watching how those they trust react to them. According to psychologist Carol Gilligan, Hurd goes on, very early experiences of inequality, mutuality, and love form the basis for the ethics of justice and care. And when you put it like that, nursery does seem as though it's about more than just giving the parents a break, that it's really about beginning the ethical formation of the child. So after nursery, ready? You're, you're in nursery in the Sunday, in the nursery's in the social hall right now. So then you have to imagine yourself going down the stairs. And right now you're about three or four. See if you can remember what that was like. You like to move a lot. <laughs> so you're three or four, and you go into the threes and fours class, not totally surprisingly. And that's really where both the ethical formation and the sense of place here at West is solidified and nurtured with our children. Our threes and fours use a curriculum called Celebrating Me and My World. I actually taught this curriculum during my internship at River Road UU Congregation, and I remember the very first chapter, or the first chapter that I taught, which was, I have two hands. I think it then goes through, like, two feet, which frequently we also have, and, uh, and then trees and, and the world and, and who's in your family. And it really is a curriculum about self, about identifying and celebrating yourself, and then about identifying the family, your circle of friends, and the community around you. And our threes and fours also begin some of the rituals of Sunday school, some of the ways that they see the space and the time as special and different for them. So they light a candle. I think it's actually not real flame for our threes and fours, four girls. It's a little, you know, they have those little electronic LED candles. They light a little candle. They hold Peace Bear, who's a rainbow-colored beanie baby. Wouldn't you like to hold that while you're talking, you know? If you're holding Peace Bear, you can talk. I sometimes wish that Peace Bear would visit, like, you know, committee meetings or other <laughs> things in my life if you're holding Peace Bear. So maybe Peace Bear can come out of threes and fours and visit the rest of us sometimes. They do a check-in or a go-round, and of course we know that the go-round is sort of one of the core things. If you're on a team or a committee at West, you start with a go-round. You check-in and, and see how you are with each other. You build that relationship. 
And then they practice saying who they are, which is really important if you're a little three- or four-year-old and you go to the Washington Ethical Society, which is kind of a long name and hard to say, and nobody in your preschool really necessarily knows what that means. And so they practice saying who they are. I actually had to text my husband this morning and ask him to ask our five-year-old daughter to make sure I got the words right because I knew it would get back to her and she'd correct me if I did it wrong. And so our threes and fours say all together, We are ethical culture kids, a community of open minds, loving hearts, and helping hands. Tracy Hurd talks about the preschool child and their moral development in this way. The preschool child, intimately tied to his culture and family, is learning about what is right and wrong. A preschool child's life revolves around relationships that hold and keep her as a developing moral being. And that's really the core in that preschool time in our threes and fours classrooms, building relationships with each other and with their teachers and learning who they are, being able to articulate and to say who it is that they are and where it is that they belong. Our threes and fours also join our older children to hear stories upstairs once a month at the beginning of Platform. That's the first Sunday of the month. And they begin to participate more in our multi-generational platforms and our celebrations like Spring Festival, as Mary mentioned earlier. It's that beginning of knowing that Wes is not just a comfortable place and a safe place, but a special place where particular kinds of things happen that don't necessarily happen in the rest of the week or the rest of our lives, where we sing together, where we are quiet together, where we dance together, certainly where we eat cookies together. And I would argue that actually learning to eat together is a key piece of learning to become a fully developed adult West member. It's the beginning, too, of what we might call spiritual or emotional experiences, through plants and the natural world, and through each other, a time of opening, a, opening up a child's eyes to the wonder around them. Okay, so now you're starting kindergarten, ready? You're able to sit still a tiny bit more, although not that much, and you're entering into Wes's school-age Sunday school program. Our school age goes from about kindergarten to about fourth or fifth grade. It depends on the year. And it's the time when we really begin to play with that sense of wonder, that sense of specialness and story, as well as to dig into ethical culture and a larger ethical sense in the world, a religious sense, a sense of justice. Our school-age children engage in what's called workshop rotations. How many people are familiar with that name? Many of you, I hope. Oh, so, oh, not that. Okay, great. So workshop rotations. Our school-age children engage in workshop rotations, which, which starts and is centered on that story that, they sh- that we share all together in platform at the beginning of the month. The story is connected to a theme, a broader theme, and we explore that theme upstairs. We usually have at least one platform, sometimes more on it. One of us writes, Mary or I write about it in the newsletter, and we kind of, we we build our, our music around it for that month. Well, the children explore that theme as well in their classes through the workshop rotation model, taking story-inspired workshops each week, which culminate in a project or a celebration or justice work, a justice service project of some kind. This month, you might remember from just last Sunday, the story Harold and the Purple Crayon, which was told so 
amazingly by Tony Nam. That was the, the story that began our monthly April theme of creativity. And so our children in their workshops downstairs are engaging with all different kinds of ways to be creative, with visual arts and with uh, performing arts and theater and then with music. All of those ways, not just to be creative themselves, but to create their world, just the way Harry did with his purple, Harold did with his purple, on actually more familiar terms with Harold, so it's Harry to me. Um, Just the way Harold did with his purple crayon to create the world around them. And many of those projects that they work on will show up in our spring festival as we celebrate together so that their creations come up upstairs into our adult community and create the world that we share on May 5th during our spring festival. The themes that we explore over the course of the year and the stories that go with them were chosen by Peggy and Mary and me so that over the course of a three-year cycle, they speak to the key values, ideas, and principles of an ethical life. So you might remember some of the themes like death, love, vision, and ideals. Some of the stories themselves are based in world religions, like the story Namaste, which was related to the theme of the divine within. Some of them are about ethical culture history, like the story of Anna Garland Spencer and child labor laws, which was in a a monthly theme of silence and voice. And some of them are about West history, about our own history here in this community, like the story of Nancy Jennison, who worked so hard and saved to have this building built as her legacy when she died. Social justice becomes a key part of the curriculum during the school age time, with kids taking on service projects, doing fundraising, and really educating the entire congregation. Some of you remember the fair trade chocolate um, education that they did, and then we had to change our coffee hour cookie choices to be only fair trade chocolate cookies, because if you teach children, they will turn around and teach you. It's really so... Annoying. Um, (laughs) It's great. I loved it. Tracy Heard, that developmentalist that I quoted earlier, says, the school-age child is passionately interested in moral issues and that they begin to really interact with religion, with religious ideas and religious thoughts, with religious, spiritual, and ethical questions. On a less concrete and more ephemeral level, they're able to really start to dig into what that means. As she writes, the later school-age child embarks on a path of making meaning about religion and faith. And I would say, me too. I'll join you with that later school-age child making meaning. Those themes that I mentioned in the three-year cycle repeat again after the three years. That's the length of time that a child would be in the workshop rotation program so that they won't have the same stories again. But repeating the cycle and bringing it back gives us as an adult community to revisit a chance to revisit the themes and explore them again in a new way and a new lens, sometimes with a new story as well. As we look at that same core theme, one of the, the deep values or ideas of ethical culture. All right, so now you're really getting to be kind of a big shot in the Sunday school, moving into the fifth and sixth grade and seventh and eighth grade years. It depends on the year exactly what curriculum we offer. We create two class groups out of the children in those years. One of them is a a curriculum called popcorn theology, which helps children um, 
and really I should start to say youth, I think, at this point, or I'll get in trouble, uh, to articulate their own beliefs through the medium of popular movies. There's an aspect of self-determination in that class as children choose movies to watch and actually present and teach a class as they get toward the end of the year. Our fifth and sixth graders right now, though, are actually engaging in a class called Neighboring Faiths which includes visits from different practitioners of world religions and different clergy, including both Mary and me at the beginning of the year, and then visits to other communities as well. So this morning, our fifth and sixth grade class and their teachers and parents are at a Hindu temple exploring that religion, and then they'll have a chance next week to reflect on what that means for them and how it might relate to ethical culture and to their own faith and values. I did the sort of introduction to what religion was for that class at the very beginning of the year, and I mentioned Zoroastrianism in my attempt to keep, you know, 7th, 5th, and 6th grade boys really interested, because Zoroastrianism is a little unusual and kind of wild, particularly in their um, practices around death. You know, do you know the Zoroastrians, they don't um, bury their dead, they build really tall towers and put them in the towers, and that's part of kind of the cycle of life. Environmentalism is very important within Zoroastrianism. So I mentioned that because I wanted to get them kind of thinking about how different kinds of religions uh, took on some of the same core questions. And the kids were actually so intrigued that they followed through on Zoroastrianism and they ended up inviting and having visit last week a member of the Zoroastrian community in D.C., Newsflash, there's a really big Zoroastrian community in D.C. <laughs> and, um, and so she came and got together with them and taught them about her religion and her faith. And they're all invited out there. They're doing a capital campaign as well. And so they're all invited out there to see their new building when they start. So there's really the beginning of that broader interaction with the world. You know, having built a sense of place here at Wes in the earlier years, by fifth and sixth grade, they're ready to figure out how that relates to what other people are thinking and doing out in the religious and justice and ethical world. The developmental task of this kind of later school-age time is to identify who you are in the midst of that world, in connection to the group. And peers become a key force in a child's development at that time, parents no longer being kind of the central or only focus. And I think so often we think of that in a negative way. You know, we think about peer pressure and and your peers trying to get you to try things that you really shouldn't be doing. But one of the things that we really talk about at West is the idea of positive peer pressure, of your peers being able to encourage you in your own ethical development as they share that development with you. And Tracy Hurd says it in this way, that that the adolescent's ability to take the perspective of others deeply influences her moral and ethical perspectives. So the importance of peer relationships and really the continuing development of empathy in your own ability to be an ethical and moral agent. In 7th and 8th grade, again on alternating years, and we are teaching it this year, our, um, our young teens begin a class that really is around responsibility for selves and bodies in the Our Whole Lives curriculum, which is quite a famous curriculum. It gets national press attention every uh, few years. It was developed jointly by the Unitarian Universalist Association and the United Church of Christ. And it's a comprehensive sexuality education, but it's really about relationships, about boundaries, about feelings, about seeing and understanding oneself as a sexual being, that sexuality is part of who we are, part of humanity, 
and learning to navigate that and to integrate it into a full sense of self. Okay, so now you're through eighth grade. Do you feel, like, really pretty ethical? Yes? Right? Nodding? But you're still navigating the world around you, and our kids go into kind of what I would call a year of navigation as they engage in our coming-of-age program. I'm not going to say too much about this program or the teen program because they both have their own platforms coming up. And so I'll just invite you on June 2nd, which is our coming-of-age platform this year, when our coming-of-age graduates from this year's class will share what it is that they've learned and tell you simply that this program in particular is special to Wes and created here at Wes. It's a year-long program for young teens and their parents and families founded in memory and in honor of Matthew Wayman, one of our students here who we lost. And it's about balancing responsibility and freedom, about new relationships and the new self of young adulthood. And one of the neat things about our coming-of-age program is that it brings in lots of non-West families to engage in that program because it's so particular and special. And that's often an entry for those kids then into our teen group. Now, you're going to get to hear from our teens even sooner than our coming-of-age graduates. They have a platform on May 11th. And I get to start planning that platform with them uh, this afternoon, um, which is always the highlight of my year, to get to spend a little bit of time with them. Our teen group um, focuses on service projects throughout the year in New Orleans. They just got back from that trip and frequently over the summer in El Salvador and our sister community. And then they really learn about interacting with the larger ethical culture community and about their own agency in those interactions. So every year our teens go to the YES conference, the Youth and Ethical Societies conference. They interact, too, with the larger West community in a different way than they have as children as they begin to come into a sense of being a young adult in this community, helping in the Sunday school nursery and in the threes and fours, serving at community dinner, and attending films and engaging in justice work throughout the community, and frequently attending platform as well. By the end of their time, we ask our teens to articulate what they've learned at West, who they've become and how Wes shapes them. And I, and I encourage you not to miss May 11th and that articulation. One of the things that I always find when they articulate that is that, of course, they don't stand up here and list a series of facts that they learned in our Sunday school. You know, they don't, they don't list uh, what they learned about Zoroastrianism, although maybe this group of fifth and sixth graders will when they get there. But they tell us instead about what kind of people they've become about how they make choices in their life, about how Wes has taught them about how to act in the world. And to me, that's really the core of all of our curriculum. We do, of course, try to impart a particular set of knowledge about ethical culture, about Wes's history, who we are, how we interact with other faiths. And I'll put in a plug that you can get that yourself as well through the Flourish classes that Mary mentioned, the whole series that we offer for adults to engage in exactly that kind of information. But Sunday school and Flourish classes, too, are actually about something deeper, I think. You know, we could change all of the specifics of what we teach in those classes, all of the particular stories, and even the ethical culture history, and it would still be West Sunday School. Because it's the ethos of the program, how children are taught, as much as what they're taught, 
Sometimes that's what educators call the silent or hidden curriculum. And I think that it's nowhere as important as in a religious community, where our goal isn't to fill their heads with particular knowledge or, or right thinking, but to create, to raise up, to enable them to become a certain kind of person. I've heard a story about the grandchildren of a new member who visited for the first time, that children visited for the first time, and um, their grandmother had been trying to explain to them kind of what Wes was and what it meant and what they might learn, and, um, and, and they said, well, we'll just have to see what it's like, and so after the, their Sunday school classes, they came and they said, oh, I get it. Wes is just a place where you learn to be a good person. I would actually, we should just put that on the cover of our, website, our brochure and our website. Oh, you learn to be a good person. In slightly more complicated terms, and in a reminder that ethical culture has always been where you learn to be a good person, I quote from W. Sanford Evans in an address that was given in 1896, so really right at the beginning of ethical cultures um, kind of coming into the world, at the New York Society for Ethical Culture. Here's what Evans said. Instead of teaching something, he was talking about kind of the specifics that you learn in most Sunday schools. Instead of teaching something, we must develop the moral and spiritual nature. The child will be consistently moral, not when it has its memory stored with moral rules, but when its moral judgment and moral feelings are keen and strong. It will be spiritual only when its spiritual emotions are so developed that they demand spiritual satisfaction. There can be no real morality without action, and so we must make the children interested in life and anxious to act. Isn't that great? Anxious to act. In other words, we must in some way give them the spirit of true living. So what does that mean for our children? I I think it's about being engaged, about feeling secure, and out of that security, feeling curious. About encouraging them to learn about other folks so that they develop not just a sense of tolerance, but a sense of welcome, a sense of nurture around diversity. About encouraging them to to foster their innate sense of empathy so that they're caring and justice-seeking people the spirit of true living. I actually want that, too. I don't know why our kids have to have all the fun, and so I've been thinking about the way that we, that we hope to raise up our children, not just with specific facts, but with that spirit, the spirit of true living, and the way that we are always raising ourselves up, creating ourselves There was a great comment during community sharing after a coming-of-age program a couple of years ago where the the young teens had shared all that they had learned throughout the program and what they'd learned about themselves and how they wanted to be in the future because of the coming-of-age program here at West. And an adult who, I will just say, was not, not at the beginning of young adulthood said, I want my own coming of age program. And I do too. You know, we need to keep up with our kids, and more than that, we need to continue our own process of coming of age, our continual process of coming of age, of developing ourselves. 
sometimes our, our kids get ahead of us, I think, on those moral development and justice issues, as they did with our cookies during coffee hour. And when I talked with the Children's Education Council about this platform, we came up with a potential alternate title, Informed Citizens Have Higher Standards, colon, Why Sending Your Kids to West Sunday School Might Be a Pain in the Neck for You. <laughs> And it's true, you know, we develop these moral and ethical agents, and then they expect us to be the same. And so that's our continuing work. It's our job as members of the Washington Ethical Society to find ways to do that, to foster our own moral and spiritual development, to make sure that we don't get stuck at that, late, that, that stage of development where we were last year or five years ago or a week ago even, but to keep going ourselves. At the end of our platform today, we'll have a chance to welcome new members into membership and I think it's easy to see them at the, at the outset of their development as West folks, as, as people within this community. But it's true for all of us, true for those of us who have been here for 50 years. Whether we're taking classes or engaging in justice work or, or working with a team or a committee, or perhaps going back to Sunday school to teach, so that we're able to engage in that development right along with the kids who are in the same stage with us. I know I've joked before about the meditation manual that I use, which is uh, intended for three-year-olds, but that is my developmental stage on meditation. It is the three-year-old developmental stage. It works great for me. So using our children as an opportunity to encourage and facilitate our own development. Think of life often as much more than a straight line, you know, where development just goes like this. I hope it's not a spiral. Uh, I hope it's not a circle where you know you just come back to the same place every single time. And and so, the image that works for me is that of a spiral, you know, that you come back to the same place, but that you go a little deeper each time. That you have to deal with the same stuff, the same problem in your life, but each time you have more tools to be able to do it. So whether your spiral is going inward because you're reaching deeper into yourself or going outward as you engage more deeply in the world, I hope, I hope that spiral image is true in your life. I hope you find a way to spiral through your development and I think of that for our kids, you know, as we sing that song for them as they go out every Sunday, and how the song sounds different to them each week because they're different each week and each year that passes with us. And then I think of another song, a song that I sing with my children in our continuing operetta of our lives, which you might know, it's called the kindergarten song. Does anyone know it? Of all you learn here, remember this the best. Don't hurt each other and clean up your mess. <laughs> and it goes on, you're supposed to take a nap and wash your hands. But it's the end that's really the best part. Remember the seed in the little paper cup. First the root goes down and then the plant grows up. So last Sunday, our threes and four-year-olds planted seeds in a little paper cup. They planted six seeds, my daughter tells me. 
And already six little sunflowers to be are peeping up. They are not going to fit inside this paper cup at some point, so we're going to have to have a conversation about repotting, I think. This summer, our children will plant a garden together. And you know, the metaphors in those seeds and paper cups, the metaphors in the gardens, they're just too rich to let go. And in that song as well, and so I just invite you to think what it is that you want to plant with our children, what seeds you hope to plant for them and for yourself and to grow in yourself. And as you spiral through your life and as you watch our children spiral through their lives, going deeper each time, each time we come back to the same thing, able to understand it in a different way. Just keep singing to yourself like life is an operetta. First the root goes down and then the plant grows up 